What you about to witness is my thoughts. Just my thoughts, man. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Jeremy coming here to you live from the North Pole. It's fucking cold outside. I'm joined today by a pitching legend and also my cousin, Tristan Polly. What's up, brother? Not much, man. Just got back from Arizona. I have to agree. I didn't know I was coming back to a tundra. <laughs> it's, I was not expecting it to be this cold this soon. Um, I mean, if you were just in Arizona, I'm sure it was beautiful there oh yeah now dry heat 90 degrees you know nice uh, at night maybe a sweatshirt and shorts kind of day but nice. that nothing. sounds miserable yeah much rather be here in the snow <laughs> so you just got done with your first summer playing pro ball right yeah yeah my first so, uh half season yeah half season okay yeah so you so last year you got drafted after college uh graduated from indiana state crushed it there uh, well let's back up you're from here in Indianapolis, basically. Just right. tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? So I grew up in Indianapolis, um, right around the Indy and Avon area. And, um, you know, grew up playing baseball. Uh, my dad coached me and uh, was never really that into it until probably I was 13, 14, started playing travel ball, started doing different things. Um, but the the catch of the whole thing was I wasn't very good. <laughs> Um, and then I started going to Avon where, you know, athletics there are very, um, highly ranked amongst the state and, um, played there, you know, don't know a whole lot of people. I'm coming from, uh, I had gone to St. Michael's right before that, which is a byproduct of Cardinal Ritter. Um, and you know, it was just funny because all these people have been playing together for such a long time and all that kind of stuff and have names for themselves, and I didn't really have that, and I already wasn't the most skilled. However, um, I always had the inner belief, and I always had the drive to want to be good and get to a goal, and I remember I ended up going to Brownsburg for high school, and, you know, kids probably laughed at me, and you probably hear the story all the time, but um, I would tell people that I was going to go play professional baseball someday. That was going to be what I was going to do. And I remember uh, saying that in a class that I had and somebody saying, well, what happens if you don't? And the same answer that I tell people right now as I'm doing it, I'll find out. Yeah. Okay. So that's cool. That's I, I think it's funny that you're like, well, I wasn't very good. Um, I remember whenever we first met, this was like 10 years ago, so... Tristan is my wife's cousin, and so I met him about almost about 10 years ago to the day. Oops, rookie mistake, my bad. Almost about 10 years ago to the day, and whenever I met you, you were just like a scrawny little... How old are you now? Uh, I'm getting ready to turn 23. Okay, so you're about 13 years old, scrawny yeah. little guy. I thought T- Tyler was your older brother. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's your younger brother. Actually, people, but... People still think that. That's fair. I mean, he's a big fella. He's got a great beard, which is bullshit. I'm 30, still can't grow a beard. I'm 29. I'm not 30 yet. I keep saying that. Um, but anyway, you're a scrawny little kid, and then it's just it's funny that you're like, man, I wasn't very good, but now you are. You were drafted by the Texas Rangers this year. 
when you're playing in the pros, and you had a good good summer, right? Yeah, no, very good summer. So I was looking, and it said that you had you were able to pitch 24 innings. I'm sure relief, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, I was a reliever. Okay, and you, you had 24 innings and 34 strikeouts. That's almost like a strikeout and a half per inning, right? Yeah, no. Um, and I think a lot of that was once you get into that first level of pro ball, you know, you're around a bunch of high school guys, um, guys that really haven't been around the game a lot and they're raw. Mm-hmm. And, like, even guys that have been in the organization for two, three years are still at that level because they're kind of figuring it out. And being a college senior and um, being somebody that has just been a student of the game and I'm somebody that I, I was never blessed with the most talent. However, through my own research, finding out what works for me, um, and more of an analytical approach um, to attacking the game and attacking hitters, that that just put me well above where a lot of people at that level, a lot of hitters at that level were at. Nice, okay. So you were, let's back up. So you're in high school, and your high school team was pretty good. I remember watching you guys. You guys were decent, weren't you, like your last year? Uh, we, we had good players. We weren't okay. very good. <laughs> okay, well, I was wrong then. And then, so what was it like, you know, the decision, like, I'm going to go play D1? What was it like for you to decide to go to Indiana State? Uh, you know, funny enough, I was just telling my sister this the other day, I didn't have um, any JUCO, Division three, Division two offers, and it just seemed like going to as big of a school that I did and all that kind of stuff, it was D1 or bust. And mm-hmm. that's a really bad mindset for people to have. Um, there's so many great other options out there, and, you know... Look at my organization. There's NAIA, D2, JUCO guys, mm-hmm. high school guys. You, you know, there's so many, so many other things. And um, that was just my mindset was that I was always going to play at the highest level that I possibly could, and uh, I wasn't going to look back from it. Yeah, so, I mean, baseball is a little bit different than most other major sports where they you probably have a lot of guys going from the JUCOs, the D3s, D2s, actually making it to the next level. Um, as opposed to like basketball or football, you, you just don't see it as often. Right. Um, so you wanted to go D one. You ended up going to Indiana State. <clears throat> just tell us, you know, what was what was your career like? Uh, you know, I was showed up, shy kid, small, scrawny, just mm-hmm. like you were saying. Um, eventually, I started beefing up. Yeah, you did. Oh yeah, my God. <laughs> I was about to say. I remember my freshman year. I uh, I walked in the door at one fifty. And I walked into my house for Christmas break at 190. Dang. Put on 40 pounds in a semester. Not all of it was good weight either. And a lot of it was, uh, you know, that freshman year of college, that mm-hmm. that good drinking weight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, that's whenever I started to see a change in my strength and starting to become more of a man and that, those kind of things. And uh, I didn't pitch a whole lot, you know, didn't have a lot of confidence. Um there's a lot of things that I wanted to do that I was scared to do because I didn't want people to judge or anything like that. Um, and then my sophomore year, I started breaking that barrier a little bit, went to summer ball, got left alone, did more of what I wanted to do, developed a little bit more, got some exposure. Um, so sophomore year, come in, I start starting some games, uh, throw a lot more innings, a really key piece. Then my junior year is where it really took off because – I saw that opportunity right in front of me where whenever I was a freshman in high school and I was telling those kids, I'm going to play professional baseball, well, hey, this is my chance. You know, I'm eligible. Um, End up being the ace of my team that year, Uh, you know, working really hard. So many things improved. My body improved. 
my strength improved, all that kind of stuff, and really started to hone who I was. Um, draft rolls around, didn't quite get what I wanted to. Um, felt like that I could have a better opportunity, possibly if I w- go back to school, finish my degree, and then go back for my senior year. You know, it's tough. It's tough going back, especially after thinking that you were done. Um, right. Big man on campus. You right. know, I don't. I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to do those things and. Um, it's tough fighting, uh, those demons that are inside of you that, uh, I shouldn't be doing this or I've already done this before. Why do I have to prove it again? But that's a part of growing as a human and busting through all those sort of doors and eventually led me to where I am now and getting drafted. And now it's like you start at the bottom of the food scale again. Yeah. So that, that's cool. I'm glad you, you brought it up. So I, I definitely want to touch on what that process was like, you know, after your junior year, because I know that you were really excited for the, you know, the next step and you were ready. And then you didn't end up getting where you thought or what you thought out of the process and made ultimately made that tough decision. Like, I'm going to go back for another year. Did you did you have a lot of worries about like what other people would say about it? Like, honestly, um, like, don't, don't, I don't want to hear, like, no, I don't care what other people think. I want to hear, like, really what you thought going back to school would be like. Well, you know, it's funny because you're telling people, like, oh, I'll see you whenever, um, you know, I'm not coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you show up that first day of fall and you look around and you see those people, like, hey, man, what are you doing on campus? Yeah. And I'm like, well, shit, I didn't get drafted. Yeah. Or I didn't, I didn't exactly get what I wanted to. So I come back and then there it starts. You know, I, I can see in people's faces the skepticism of was he just lying or mm. was like that was bullshit, whatever, whatever. Um, but I always knew deep down that it was just something that I was going to have to deal with as soon as I made the decision. And that, and that was a part of it was, you know, I had hyped up the whole process. I was ready to go, ready to move on. And then I don't. Mm-hmm. And just like with anything, you know, you you call off an engagement, you do all, it it was like that in Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And, um, I struggled with it a lot, especially going back to class, you know, having to sit down, have somebody tell you what to do, what to read. I'm doing this homework that I don't want to do. I thought I wouldn't be, I thought I would be done with it. Um, and then just having to turn around and, Oh crap, I'm a senior now. This is my last chance. And I'm, the leader of this team coming back and so now i have to take people underneath my wing and i have to guide this and create pre- uh create a good practice plan and all that kind of stuff uh which is hard whenever i'm thinking the whole time that i shouldn't be there right so that that's the that was the hard part of it um the easy part was going back being in a college atmosphere yeah. being around guys people that love you <clears throat> look up to you and you know, spending, spending those good quality times. And I'm very thankful for that now because I've made such a good group of friends that I talk to, you know, Snapchat group messages, all that every single day. And I want those guys to do well. And I found a really good group of people that I know wants me to do well too. Yeah. Did it feel, you know, whenever on the day where you you didn't go when you thought you would go, did it feel like, oh, it's like, this is it. Like I'm, I'm done. Like in that moment, did it feel like everything just kind of crashed down or were you just like, oh, well, shit, I'll just have to go back? Well, yeah, it's crazy because, you know, you you put all your eggs in one basket. And I remember 
things were not going well. Um, I was getting calls, but they weren't the calls I wanted to get. Um, and I remember going back and driving. Um, and funny enough, I had just gotten a new car because we thought we were, I was going to leave across the country. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm driving in this new car that was supposed to be for this whole thing. Um, and I go and I sit in my little league parking lot and I remember just bawling my eyes out for a good 15, 20 minutes, you know, and I'm back at the place where it all started, where I first fell in love with the game. And, um, it was a really tough, tough thing, but after it, you know, it was like a, it was like a, something snapped like, okay, whatever. I, now I'm just going to move forward and be a better person come back next year and I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Yeah. Sometimes that chip on the shoulder is more valuable than anything that you would have got had it gone your way. Right. Yeah. You think it's going to end up helping you in the long run? Oh, for sure. And, uh, that's another thing, you know, seniors in the draft, um, they don't get that big signing bonus that Mm -hmm. I, I would have gotten as a junior. And regardless of that, it just gives me more motivation to keep moving forward and keep improving and there's always something there's always something that you can do not only as a baseball player but as a person as a man um that you can do to improve yourself and I think that if I would have went my junior year I was not as mentally prepared as I was this year and that was a big part in leading my success in my first year Mm -hmm. so all right after you after college we're we're heading out to you went out Spokane yeah okay was that first uh so I spoke Spent a week in the Arizona uh, league in the AZL. Okay, and then straight straight out to Spokane. After. Okay, so you spent a week out there. What, did you even get to pitch? Uh, so I pitched once or possibly twice. I'm not sure. Yeah, in uh, Arizona. In, yeah, in Arizona, and um, it was my first taste of pro ball, and it's crazy because I go throw a couple pitches, and people are just hitting lasers, <laughs> but they're getting caught. Yeah. And I'm just so confused because I'm thinking, okay, this shouldn't be happening. What I'm hitting my spots, I'm doing this, I'm doing that correctly. How do I make that adjustment? Because it was never a question of, oh, am I good enough to play at this level? I knew mm-hmm. I've always thought that I was. Um, it was just more along the lines of I thought I was so prepared. Now I'm seeing balls getting hit. You know, I think I left Arizona with a 7 ERA, and, you know, most most people don't get promoted with a 7 ERA. A 7 ERA? Yeah. Okay, so you ended up getting promoted and moving on to Spokane. Yeah, so I move on to Spokane. Uh, my first outing is in Vancouver. Oh, that's cool. Um, crazy experience, man. The fans, there's probably about 10,000 people there, and they have these uh, megaphones up in the stands, and this, the whole stadium is on top of you. You're almost in an arena it feels like you're Mm -hmm. you know surrounded and i remember i gave up a hit and the roar of those ten thousand fans coming from the microphones and all that i was like wow this is something that i've never experienced before and before that was the biggest crowd they ever played for um i think i pitched it at mississippi state in front of maybe eight thousand or so Mm -hmm. and i threw eight straight balls and got taken out (laughs) <laughs> oh, <shit>. yeah <laughs> um so i was just thinking okay can't let that happen again yeah. especially now give up the first hit the roar and i'm looking around and it was weird because i felt this sense of calmness in yeah. me that i would not have felt uh before mm-hmm. 
or anything like that. And then it was just kind of like a deep breath. And I pitched, finished my inning. Um, and then I, and then that's whenever I said, okay, I belong here and I belong to go above here Mm -hmm. and keep moving forward and, you know, stay in the process. Obviously there's a lot of things that I can't control. Um, but yeah, just staying in that process and knowing this is where I belong. This is what I'm meant to do. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's, that's, that's a cool story. So you, how was, what was the summer like? Like, what did you learn this year? Are you, do you think that you're going to continue to move up? Like, what are your thoughts on the process so far? So I feel that I, I obviously had a very good start. Um, and there were so many things that I took from it, not, not just from baseball, but just how to be a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in college, you play maybe four games a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I pitch on Friday night. I'm done. In pro ball, it's every single day. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize is you think, oh, professional baseball players, they show up to their game and they stand around for half of it. It's it's not hard to play every day. They should play 162 games. That's a lot of games. Right. But also what people don't realize is 7 o'clock game, I'm there at 10 o'clock. Yeah. I, I'm there at the field at 10 o'clock and, you know, you have lifting, mobility, training room, lunch, um, you know, you're you don't have the best spreads in the world and you're trying to gain, lose weight. You know, I remember having a spread uh, before a game where it was peanut butter and jelly and goldfish. <laughs> and you're like tra- good pro ball life. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's that minor league grind that people talk about is that right there. Uh, that's pure definition. Goldfish and PB and J. Sounds like kindergarten. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, it tasted as good as it did in kindergarten too. <laughs> Um, and you know, you're, you're trying to make those body goal, those, uh, body composition goals, which is a huge thing for us right now. And it's a huge thing as athletes for recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the time I showed up and I was trying to, you know, lose some weight, lean up, um, stay, stay strong, but stay, but get leaner. You were um, trying to lean up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I was built like a pitcher, but as a, a reliever and being a smaller guy, you know, I'm only six foot, mm-hmm. uh, where the average height of an MLB starter is six three. Really? Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. Baseball players, or pitchers anyway, are big boys. Mm-hmm. I would be a normal position guy. Yeah, okay. But pitchers are big boys now, and that's why you see the spike in velocity and all those other things that are happening right now. And I had to battle that i started tracking my food so you know i have i i'm dealing with the time change three hour time change back home mm-hmm. um and you go and just like i said you lift eat training room mobility you go out team stretch yoga you do your daily work for the day if you're not hot um you go not through hot meaning not like not game. not pitching that game okay. yeah and then uh you go through fielding practice um you shag bp then you take you get a couple hours and maybe during that couple hours, hey, somebody wants to grab you for an interview or hey, some uh, can you go sign balls for kids or can you help run this camp, whatever it may be, and then it's game time and then you sit through the game. If you pitch, you're just waiting antsy. Um, if you're not, you just kind of sit there and you have to learn the hitters and pay attention and make notes in a notebook. Mm-hmm. I mean that's not required, but if you want to be successful, that's what successful people do. Yeah, um, it's kind of, that's one thing I definitely want to touch on is like, what's the preparation like 
from at this level compared to college? Like, are you, I don't know if this is a thing. I'm sure it is. Watching game film, learning about the opponents. No, yeah. So in college, it was really cool because we had a system where our coach would give us uh, feedback on players. Mm -hmm. And he would show us film. So every day before I started, I saw every hitter that I was going to face, their at-bats in different counts and all that kind of stuff. But in pro ball, you play the same team nine times a year. And so you can't just attack with it. You can't develop just one game plan. Mm -hmm. The holes that are there are going to be there still, but you got to get to the hole. If you can't get there, how are you going to attack them? They know what you got. They know what you're going to attack. You You know, they're trying to make a game plan against you too. It's not like, oh, crap, we have the best pitcher in the Missouri Valley pitching against us on Friday night. We're just going to get carved, and then we'll move on to the next next game, next series. <laughs> now it's, okay, we got to deal with this bastard lefty mm-hmm. that is going to attack us. We know what he's got. He's already got us before, so how do we game plan against him? Okay, he has a new game plan. And same thing with me. It's, okay, i got to face the best offense in Missouri Valley. You know, just get past him, move on to my next start. Now it's, oh, crap, I'm going to see these guys in six days again. Hmm. You know, um, I think the last month of the season, we only played three different teams. Really? And you play every day. So that's a lot of seeing the same team over and over and over again. And guys just figure out what you have. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so how do you plan? Like me personally, I didn't realize it was this in depth. And I'm sure most people don't realize unless they're you know ba- big baseball guys. I, I think baseball often is looked at as a lot more of a simple sport than it really is. Um, but seems to me like it's just more of a chess game. Like, there's a lot of moving pieces in a baseball game. Yeah, no, people don't realize that. Um, from shifts to seeing what a batter has done in their last 10 at-bats to mm-hmm. seeing, okay, in a 1-0 count, they're crushing fastballs. Maybe I should throw a changeup, get them out in front, maybe get them pop it up or weak contact, and then that keeps me in the game longer too because mm-hmm. it's all about now – how many outs can I get in my outing before it's time for me to go? Right. Because um, in the in the lower levels of professional baseball, uh, there's been so many arm injuries and things like that that they're really monitoring pitches. And I might only have a certain amount of pitches for an outing, so it's how many outs, how many cheap outs can I get uh, within those amount of pitches in my outing. They really limited your, was it innings this year? Or pitches? Yeah. Do they yeah. go by innings or pitches? Um, so it, it was a little bit of both. Um, I wasn't allowed to throw over 30 pitches in an inning, and I also was not allowed. And you throw 30 pitches in an inning, you know, you might not even give up a run. Really? You, yeah, because if you think about it, okay, um, first batter I face, full count, that's six pitches. Next batter, 2-2, two, two, uh, yeah. hits a double. So you get the first guy out, second guy on, you've already thrown 10 pitches, you only have one out. And then, you know, you walk a guy or an error, just, you know, mm-hmm. it's baseball. Things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was a big – I think there was only one time where I ran out of pitches in an inning, and I remember being so frustrated because I came out with one out left in the game, and there was only runners on first and second, and a guy that I had struck out twice uh, already mm-hmm. that night um, – and it was just super frustrating. But I was also – I threw a lot of innings in college. Yeah. 
so they just wanted to cap me at like 130 innings or so. Mm-hmm. Um, that way that I wasn't overdoing it in my first, my first year. And now this year I'm going to get built up, get ready, throw 150 innings plus because now I'm, or I'll be starting this year. So okay. it'll nice. be a lot more of a, uh, lot more of a routine and all those kind of fun things so things go really well this year what's the next level that they would promote you up to so you go from spokane which is low a but also there's a ball and um which is a full season 100 a full 140 game season and that's what all the minor league seasons are mm-hmm. um after that short season and then you go to high A, which are both both of those are in North Carolina. Um, and then there's the double A team that's in Texas, Frisco, Texas, and then Nashville, where that's in the California League, hence the name and the location. A lot of a lot of a lot of flights, it prepares you for the big leagues, that yeah. one does. Okay. And then so there's what, like five levels to go? Is that kinda how it works? Uh y- yeah, so after AAA, you just you're you're in the big leagues, and obviously the hardest thing about getting there, which staying. Yeah, and that's with any any level that you go to, you know, that's there's always somebody that can replace you. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't realize that baseball will go on with or without you. It doesn't need you. Just right. like, but there's not a LeBron James of baseball. Right. There's not a Michael Jordan of baseball. There's not a Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, you know, you have all these great players, but also the great players fail seven out of ten times. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And there's just some, there's always somebody up next. What do they, how do they help you prepare for, you know, the different things that are going to come? Like, so at some point, somebody that is probably not as good as you yet, but like maybe five years younger than you will get thrown ahead. Like, that happens a lot, I'm sure. Right. Maybe not, I don't know. Maybe saying it happened to you is wrong, but, like, it happens to people all the time. How do they teach you to prepare for those things? And, like, what do they tell you to do to get you up to the majors? Uh, You know, you you can't prepare. You can't prepare somebody for that because you're always preparing them to move on. And something that I learned uh, within the guys that I was with, I mean, shout out to my Spokane bullpen boys. Um, They were awesome, just... Hey man, uh, you're gonna have to deal with things, and you're gonna have to swallow some stuff that's hard to swallow. But the best thing that you can do is stay on your route, stay who you are, don't change anything about yourself because they drafted you for a reason, mm-hmm. um, and just keep your path, keep your process, all that kind of stuff. Whereas a lot of people can fall into the trap of thinking, "Oh, he doesn't deserve that. I deserve it," and it's right. like you don't deserve anything. Right. Um, you earn what you get, and mm-hmm. you do that by being consistent and keep moving forward, being able to handle getting your ass kicked sometimes. Do you think that n- not being like a really good player when you were really young has helped you in the long run because it's developed a work ethic? Oh, absolutely. Um, being younger, I always had to be hungrier. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow whenever you're 14 years old and – your dad's the coach of the team and he benches you, <laughs> you know, my, my dad was never that guy that was going to let the coach's kid play. Um, yeah, he I was know. always, no, it's going to be <laughs> fair. If you're not playing good, you're not playing. Um, and if you want it, you're going to have to work for it. And that's 
I've learned that from him and how he is as a person too. If you want it, you're going to have to work for it. And, uh, that's always something that I've kept in my mind, uh, not getting complacent. Cause just like I said earlier, there's always that next person up and your goal as somebody that's there is not let them come up mm-hmm. or for you to move on and then let them come right, up, Yeah, you know, and going throughout high school and I didn't play much my freshman year. Um, I, I was, a, I was still a hitter. I, I was just developing into a pitcher and they took hitting away from me. And so pitching was the only thing I had left. And I said, well, I better figure out how to be the best darn pitcher alive or else I'm not going to be playing baseball anymore. Yeah. And so that's that's where it really started. So sorry. <laughs> so you weren't able to hit anymore, and you just decided, okay, I guess I better be a really good pitcher. Yeah. No, okay. it, it was literally an overnight decision yeah. that, you know what, I guess this is what I meant to do because I can't do this. So. Yeah. I like that. So what – I didn't know your dad was the coach. Shout out Uncle Cliff. Um, what was it like, you know, growing up and cause he's a big baseball fan. I listen to him and Robert, your cousin talk all the time, just about oh, yeah. talking about baseball and saying shit. Like, I don't even know what the fuck they're talking about, but they're talking about baseball. I know that. Yeah. And you know, what's it like to like to play up? I mean, he's basically a baseball nerd in my, from my view. Like, what's it like to grow up with that? Um, you know, it's, it's tough because the way that baseball is developing now, mm-hmm. Um, is so much different than whenever he played or even whenever my cousin Robert played. My mm-hmm. cousin Robert played um, at Ancilla probably around 2011, 2012, that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game has just developed in so much more. You know, you're hearing these different metrics, mm-hmm. spin rate, velocity. Um, That's wild. So they can calculate the spin on a ball? Oh, yeah, yeah, no yeah. Shit. They do it by all these high-speed cameras and all stuff. That's and crazy. Yeah, they they don't understand, and it's hard for me coming back home from a training session. I want to tell my dad everything that I did and like show him that I'm improving and all that kind of stuff. And I can tell that he doesn't understand half the things I'm saying, and that's because all that stuff is what has helped develop me. Whereas he just knows, eat a lot, get strong, mm-hmm. throw harder, um, play long distance catch to build arm strength. You know, uh, eat good, stay working hard in the weight room, all that. Whereas I have to think about it in a much different sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he thinks a lot of, well, this person, this person in the big leagues does this. Mm -hmm. And then I see it as, well, they're, they're already good at this. I'm not. Yeah. So how can I train myself to get good at those things? And he, you know, it, and granted he's very open-minded compared to what he could be and oh, i yeah. and i think me being his son and me being so wacky with the way that i train and the way that i do things has really opened up his mind because he's seen the progress and seen how it has worked but you can always tell that there's that old school mind of hey boy just throw the ball yeah you know and um it's 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 fun. I like whenever I bring him new ideas, and he, he starts to understand it, you know. And he he gets what I'm doing, and he's just always tells me, if you think what you're doing's best and you're working hard at it, then I think the success will forever be in your favor. Yeah, your your parents have been great role models for Caitlin and I, and from what I understand, they really didn't miss any college games, and they travel a lot for your program pro games. Like that's really cool. As, I mean, do you like looking up and seeing them there at your games? Yeah, you know, a lot of people say that 
you it's hard for them to play in front of their parents. However, for me, that's that's my time to show out. Yeah. Is because everything that they've invested, all their travel, all the paying for travel tournaments and uh, teams and money and lessons and all those different things, facilities for me to train out in the winter whenever I come home from college, um, that's that's my time to show them mm-hmm. that, hey, this this is paying off. Yeah. Everything, all your investments that you made is paying off, and I'm going to show you right now um, in front of all these other people against this team that I'm pitching against. And, you know, it's it's hard for me because my, my biggest goal is to make it to the big leagues, and a big part of that is because of everything that they've done for me. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you see these commercials, you know, the, the Dear Mom commercials, or um, Trevor Bauer, who's a pitcher in the big leagues, had this documentary where it followed him during his ALCS start and his dad also. And... I can't watch the, those kind of videos without tearing up because that's exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents, you know, I haven't ex- I haven't made it to that level yet, and I haven't been able to show them how much that everything they've done means to me. And once I get there and I can show them, and obviously I show them by working hard right now and grinding to get there, you know, trying yeah. my best. But just to be able to give them everything that they've given me and more, mm-hmm. um is it just really touches my heart and it motivates me every single day. Yeah. I mean, you can tell, like I was over at your house, what, last weekend, I think, and just talking to Uncle Cliff and he was like, showing me your rings and all these different cool things. And he's, he's proud as hell of you. I know that. Um, but it's, it's also cool for, for me to see, you know, I want to be a parent and I want to show up for my kids the way that your parents show up for you. And that's just, it's, it's cool to see. So I just wanted to kind of get your your thoughts on what it was like for you to have parents that are, you know, there always for you. No, it's comforting. Yeah. Um, you know, you your parents should be your best friends. A lot of people want to hide things from their parents and are embarrassed, but they know everything about me. Mm-hmm. Um, they know all my funny college story experiences, all that. You know, they've always been super open-minded and allowed me to be exactly who I am as a person mm-hmm. and it's funny because they tell stories now um what, going to watch my sister's basketball games you know my sister's star of basketball team and her little brother is wearing a cape and a tucked in and a belt tucked into the back of his pants almost getting it stepped on by the referee because you know he's, he's a geek <laughs> but my parents never shied away from that they yeah. always let me be me yeah. and that has always meant a lot to me and it's made me just have such an open relationship with them, and uh, I feel so trusting. You know, they're always my first phone call. Yeah. Uh, parents, girlfriend, brother, sister, friends, you know. It's always, and it's always been, uh, I've never not felt loved yeah. or supported in anything that I'm doing, even whenever, you know, I'm looking at myself thinking, Tristan, what the fuck are you doing? It's good to have those moments, though, right? You gotta if if you can't hold yourself accountable, then you know, good luck to anybody else trying to do it. Right? Yeah, but they were always on board for it all. Yeah, it it means a lot, and it makes me so close to them. So, so one of the moments where I was just like so proud of you was maybe a year or two ago, and you said you were reading Tim Grover's book, Relentless. Yeah. (laughs) How did that book affect you? So, actually, let me let me back up. So, Tim Grover was Michael Jordan, Dwayne Wade, and Kobe Bryant, and I'm sure plenty of other athletes. He was their trainer. Right. Um, so, I mean, he made his name, obviously, with Michael Jordan. 
And then, I mean, Kobe Bryant's a killer. D-Wade was a killer. And he had this book called Relentless, and it talks about coolers, closers, and cleaners, which are the different levels of, you know, people out in the world. So coolers are the guys that they do their job. Closers are the ones that do their job. They can win a game. And then cleaners are the guys that just, like, crush everything, no matter what. They mop it up. Yeah, they mop it up, yep. (laughs) That's great. So... I want to know what you took from that book, how you applied it to your life, and I mean, did it, did what you learned from that kind of uh, apply to your training? Yeah, so my coach, uh, the first day of my junior year, hands us this book, and, you know, being a bunch of college dudes, we're like, oh, fuck this book, like, we're (laughs) not reading this, and, you know, just like I was saying earlier, people can really influence you to not do something that you want to do, but at that point... I saw that opportunity in front of me, and I said, well, what if this book really has something to help? It did, didn't it? Yeah, it sure did. I went in that book, and, you know, I'm looking, and I'm and he's telling all these different stories, and I'm thinking, trying to apply it to me. Mm-hmm. Am I cleaner? No. Am I closer? No. Like, am, I, am I cooler? And, and there's different things that I was. Mm-hmm each one right isn't that weird like, yeah and i think whenever people talk about this book they you know like i'm a cleaner or i'm a closer or i'm a cooler it's like not well, at all not, aspects not, of your yeah, life you're something different in every aspect like yeah i'm this in one in one area and then i'm a fucking cooler in another area but right. like in general you want to move towards that cleaner status right yes exactly and eventually it led me to becoming a cleaner with my nutrition, uh, cleaner with my work, uh, the attention to detail of my work every single day, a cleaner as in, Hey, I'll lead practice and then I'll clean it all up afterwards. Um, I'm not going to leave freshmen out there to pick up baseballs just because I'm older and I tell them to, that's, that's not what a leader is. Mm-hmm. I was a cooler in my schoolwork. Yeah. You know, and I was a cooler with my off field activities where, you know, I'd, go out party two three times which that you know it doesn't sound like a lot yeah. compared to maybe a you know college freshman that's trying to get into a frat or something like that <laughs> um but as a college athlete and somebody that's you know getting a scholarship for their body to recover and that's your that's your product mm-hmm. um two three times a week of drinking and then you're showing up and you're just feeling like uh practice you know it's not great and then so i had to clean that up mm-hmm um, and it just really molded my mind into thinking every single time I do something, okay, are you a closer or a cleaner? Cooler's out of the picture. With, with, nothing, with nothing that I do for the rest of my life, will I be a cooler with? Love it. Um, and that's, that's, that's not who I am, and that's not the person that that's my parents raised be. me to be. Yeah, yeah. that's not what you want to be. Um, and there's some things, you know, I, it's, it's hard, you know, you're, you're a closer at times and it it frustrates, it frustrates me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I know I can't help it a lot of things, um, because you just want to be a cleaner constantly, a perfectionist, but being able to find a good balance. And I think having that in your life, that balance in your life creates this overseeing aura of you being a cleaner. Yeah. So, I mean, and another thing about being the cleaner is they don't have balance. 
So if that's going to be something important to you, that's going to be really hard to achieve cleaner status. Cleaner status. Right. How do you how do you reconcile that? I mean, do you want like do you are you somebody that craves life balance? Like you you want to have a great baseball career, but you also want to do this. Like how do you balance things or do you? You know, it's tough because with baseball you're gone so much to say you're making sacrifices. Mm-hmm. You know, I talking about it with my parents the other day. Um, they didn't have to worry about me in high school. Um, I was never a partier. I always made sure, came home, didn't do much, didn't really hang out with friends. You know, I, I had a goal. My dad made me print out my grades every Friday. No shit. Because he was keeping me a He was being a cleaner of my grades, That's which was awesome. making me do it too. Because uh, he wanted me to be a Division One, or I wanted to be a Division One athlete, so he wanted it for me as well. Right, and he kept me accountable with that. And it's the the balance thing. It you can be balanced and not have equal things for mm-hmm. everything. You know, time time is not meant to be equal. Yeah, that's why there's twenty four hours in a day. You okay. know, what do you mean by that? If there was a hundred hours in a day, mm-hmm. you could split fifty fifty. Yeah, you know, twenty four hours. That's not enough time. Right. That that's not enough time in the day, mm-hmm. especially if I'm sleeping for eight of them. Right. So then that cuts me down to sixteen hours. Do you get eight hours of sleep? I try to. Yeah. As as it, it's my off season right now, so this is my time to recover and all that. So. And as an athlete, you want to get 9 to 10. Right. And if I'm throwing that off, then I'm not balancing my sleep with what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. If I'm not getting what I need to get done at baseball so I can do something else, that's not balancing my baseball. Right. Balance is being able to do everything that you need to do and being able to do it all. Like, you know, being able to do it all. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I want to go have a killer baseball workout. Spend quality time with my girlfriend, um, eat dinner with my parents, and get a full eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. That's balance. Yeah. Unbalance would be, okay, I'm going to have a half-assed training workout so I can do this, right. so I can do that, so I can go out tonight, so I can sleep. It's like, no. It's, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, so I can do this, this, and this. Right. It's not... Well, I have to do this so I, so I can do this. So, so I better can do, do it this. quickly so I yes. can go do these other exactly. things. Yes. Okay. So whenever you are going through these workouts, how present are you? Like, are you thinking about other things? Or are you 100% there? I'm sure that there are days where you're, you know, kind of all over the place. But right. generally, how focused are you able to get? That's my me time. Okay. Whenever I'm working out, um, I'm gone so much during the year that, my me time is those four or five hours that I'm training. And then, and that's that balance where I can balance my me time into my training. And then I can sacrifice what could be my me time to give to everybody that has patiently waited for me to come home and do mm-hmm. different things and all that. Um, and it's really interesting having a girlfriend now where, um, you know, she was she was sacrificing. She mm-hmm. was creating a balance. Hey, I'm hanging out with my friends, um, but I'm going to wait for you to finish your game with the three-hour time difference. So she's staying up until 2 a.m. She has class, work, 
she's going through all these different things and she's killing it. And now it's good for me to come home and be like, okay, you did that for me. So now let me make that balance a little bit easier for you where I just take these four or five hours myself, do all my training, get all my stuff done. Then I have time that I dedicate to you, do what we want to do, do what my parents want to do, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's humbling. It, ke- it keeps you very humble. And a big thing that being a professional athlete, you can get lost in is the world revolves around you. Yeah. And it doesn't. Right. You know, my girlfriend's world does not revolve around me. Do you my, see that a lot? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're very selfish. Um, there, there are people that are very selfish with their time. And time is a selfish thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, at, at some point you have to be selfish with your time, but not maybe not selfish with your time towards the ones you love, right? Right, exactly. Um, people think that t- time is mine, you mm-hmm. know? That's not true. Okay. Time, time is a byproduct of the things that you need to do. Okay. I like, I like the saying that time is relative. Okay. Time is relative because there's not 24 hours. In my opinion, there's not 24 hours in a day. Okay. What do you mean? You can create more of a day if okay. you want to. I got you. So time is relative. So you don't mean like there's not 24 hours a day. You mean that there you shouldn't limit to your limit yourself to what you think is good for 24 hours. Right. Is that right? Yeah. So pack more life into one day. Right. Exactly. That, you know, that no, nobody stops you at nine o'clock at night and says, okay, time to go to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, I kind of like what you said earlier about like, and when you're talking about the balance thing, it sounds like you're not trying to balance, you know, do 50% here and then 25 and 25. So you get a hundred percent. You're trying to go hundred percent across the board. Right. That's what it sounded like to me when you were talking about the, the life balance. I think too many people get caught up in saying, like, well, I can't go too hard in my work or I can't go right. too hard in my training because people, that'll people take away buckets. from this. Yeah. They have buckets. Yes. And by buckets, I mean that you have a scale and there's four prongs out to each side. Mm-hmm. And each bucket is a different size where, you know, you're, you're trying to put chips into a bucket so then the prong stays right. even and all the buckets stay up. However, that's not how it can be. So if you are going full 100 on all these areas, then that's still balance. You don't, like, you're not limiting yourself to only 100 chips. You have 400 chips now. Right. Pack more life into it. Right. And my focus can be on where I am in the moment. And I think that's what a lot of people, whenever they lack that balance, <clears throat> is that they can't focus on being in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, they're... Like, oh, well, I regret not doing this to come do this because I feel I don't feel comp- I feel accomplished every single day, and that and that's a big part of my off season is that every day, whether it be training, uh, loving my family, loving my girlfriend, being a good brother, go seeing my friends, you know, enjoying enjoying my off season, you know, because what it probably sound like is that I'm just you know on a tight rope running from place to place to place that's not true right i can fully emotionally physically invest my time into what i'm doing because i finished the things i needed to finish and finished them well and finished them well that's important that's huge that's a good insight yeah what do you like what's the hardest thing for you right now the hardest thing yeah what are you struggling with man um 
you know, I'm a big social media person. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it a lot. Everybody does, right? Yeah, everybody does. Um, and there's times where I just want to play on my phone. Yeah. Um, and just scroll through, see what people are doing that might not even have relevance to my life at the moment. Isn't it weird? Yeah, it, yeah, very weird. It's like, I really don't care what you're doing right now, but I'll still look. Right, right. And, um, it can, at times, I feel like that it could take away from the present moment, my conversations that I'm having, and, like, me trying to be a good, you know, a good person for whoever I need to be, and listen, and evaluate with them, and give feedback, and all that. Um, and something that I've learned a lot this off season where is that I'm only dedicating time to the people that deserve it. So I got a brand new, I, I got a baseball glove. That's part of growing up, by the way. Yeah. Good for you. I got a baseball glove and on it, um, I, I put an acronym that I made up and it's, and people always ask me what it means. And I always tease that it's just, you know, it's a sound that. I make whenever I pitch. It's, it, that's not what it is. <laughs> it's F T O W M M, and what it stands for is for the ones that matter most. Okay, nice. And it's a reminder to me that I'm not just playing for me. I'm playing for the ones that matter most. I'm not playing for somebody that said that I wasn't going to make it. You know, I'm playing for the people that said I was going to make it. Whenever I come home, I'm not, I don't want to look and see Billy that I was in third grade with that followed me on Instagram. No offense, Billy. I don't really care what you're doing. (laughs) Whenever I have somebody that was caring for me and that's right in front of me trying to talk to me and have a conversation with me. So I'm learning to put my phone down. Um, I'm, I've turned off Snapchat a lot. That's probably my favorite app. Um, I have two best friends on it and it's my girlfriend and my best friend. (laughs) Um, And I have a group, and honestly, the only reason I ever check it is because I have a group message with uh, my closest friends that I developed while I was at Indiana State, and that's how I stay connected with them. Mm -hmm. So you struggle too much by being, or by being on your phone too much? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you, do you use any of the, uh, like, app limiting features where you can control how much you're allowed to use the app? You know, I don't because I don't want to, I don't want to put a, um, I don't want to put that restriction on myself mm-hmm. because I think that it can make you accountable. But oh, I the skip self, over that shit all the time. I think the self-discipline of yeah. being able to put my phone down and not having somebody to tell me that hey, uh, you've spent way too much time on this app. Yeah, like get, get your off, off, yeah, get phone. your ass off. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> so pay attention to what you're doing. Um, I don't like that. I would rather realize and say, oh, I'm sorry. Put my phone down. Mm. Engage in the moment, because that that's on me. Yeah. So uh, one thing though with these like Instagram, for instance, is it's made so your brain releases these this dopamine chemical that makes you continue to scroll so i use a little reminder like if i've been on for too long it says hey you've been on this app you're coming to your limit for the day and then you can like extend for one minute extend for 15 minutes or forget the thing for the day and i usually listen and get off there like oh shit okay 
But sometimes I'll be like, ah, give me one more minute. Give me 15 more minutes. But it's a nice reminder to have. So just, it's just a thought. But I, I mean, I see what you're saying with like, I would much rather be able to tell myself, hey, get your ass off of Instagram. Mm-hmm. But because of the nature of the app, it doesn't know, like my brain doesn't just think randomly, oh, shit, better get off of Instagram. Right, yeah. And that's, that's something that you have to train. And that's why I'm not good at it. That's why I'm struggling. Okay. <laughs> Is because uh, because I'm not allowing myself because I want to be able to do that you yeah. know that's and that's that's being a a cleaner with my social media yeah one thing I started doing was I started saying that I can only get on my social media at these times during the day and that's made a big help so like I can get on and check something but I, if I I can't scroll that's my rule is don't scroll unless you're within these two hours gotcha so no scrolling so just a thought that, yeah I was about to say that that's an interesting idea. Because, I mean, like, it's it's good to be, for me, since our business runs on Instagram, it's, like, it would be really dumb for me to not check it all day. But by implementing the rule of no scrolling, I don't spend 15, 20 minutes at a time on there. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's a huge time suck. Like, 15, 20 minutes, you can get a lot done in that time. You can straighten up your room. You can make your bed. Right. You make your bed? Yes. I Well, funny enough, I don't make it in the morning, Okay. but I have to get into a made bed. Okay, I like that. Yeah, I cannot get into a bed where there are sheets everywhere. Yeah, I don't um, make mine in the morning uh, either. I'm not as consistent about it as I want to be, but yeah. I'm pretty good about it. But I always do it like right after I get out of the shower, Yeah, just like how I start my day. People make fun of me, as in saying, like, well, why? Because you, you make it to ruin it. And it's it's not about making it. Yeah, it's about creating that environment that I'm getting into a clean environment. You Amen. Know? Yep. Um, Tim Corbin, who is one known as one of the greatest baseball coaches of all time, uh, coached at Vanderbilt, been there for a long time, won a, won two national championships, I think. He goes around to the freshman dorms and makes his kids make their bed. Good. And, yeah, you can say that he's a drill sergeant, but also it's teaching them that you need to have a clean environment. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to get... Whenever my room's dirty, I can't focus. Amen. Whenever my office is dirty, I my work suffers. Yeah, for sure. Your sleep suffers. Mm-hmm. You know, all of it. I, yeah. I like just being able to get into that made bed, end of the day, deep breath, and another issue that I have is I uh, am very plugged in. And I think it's because whenever I was little, my parents let me have a TV in my room. Mm-hmm. And I have to fall asleep with noise, and I'm not talking about a fan. Oh, yeah, I have to have a fan, but I can't have noise. I'm, Actually, that's a bullshit lie. I listen to an audiobook every single night to fall asleep. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I was about to say, I have to watch a YouTube video, I have to watch Netflix, I have to watch something. But then once I get that get to that tired stage mm-hmm. out like a light. Yeah. But if I don't have that, I will literally stare at my ceiling for hours. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, man, I wish we didn't have to cut this off. I know you got to get to training here soon. It is our hard cutoff time, so I better let you go. But I appreciate you coming on, man. I'm fucking proud of you. You're doing awesome. Yeah. Uh, let me let me leave you with this uh, one last thing. Um, I have this quote pulled up. It's my favorite quote ever. Please. Um, and it's funny because you were the only person that knew what it was. I posted an Instagram picture, and um, you commented Teddy Roosevelt on it. <laughs> and it's the man, the man in the arena. Love it. It is not the critic who counts, but the man who points out how strong the man stumbles, 
or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is mirrored by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, who ears, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows, in the end of the triumph and high achievement, who at worst, if he fails, at least fails, while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold, timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. A fucking men. Go out and do something awesome. And Teddy Roosevelt's my favorite president. He's the best. <laughs> thanks for having me on, Jimmy. Hey, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. We'll get you back on here. Thank you guys for listening. Ciao. La, la, yeah. la, la, wait till I get my money right. Get my money right.